123 testing 123 this is radio free mormon on the air broadcasting behind enemy lines tonight's episode stake president charged for not reporting child abuse there is a recent case coming out of pennsylvania where a stake president has now been charged for not reporting child abuse i am recording this on february 2nd 2024 it is groundhog day it is also the day that the state president is supposed to turn himself into court for arraignment. And I expect that he will do that. However, let's go over this story, shall we? Because this is going to be a story we're going to want to watch closely. Going to, here we are. State president charged for not reporting child abuse, Radio Free Mormon, episode 329. This comes from ABC 27 WHTM in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. The local news is Harrisburg lobbyist, LDS church leader, charged with not reporting child rape allegations. So the stake president is also a lobbyist and lives in Harrisburg. The articles by Seth Kaplan and George Stockberger is posted on January 31st and updated on February 1st, just yesterday. Let's go through this article, shall we? Pennsylvania State Police have charged Rhett Heinz. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. H-I-N-T-Z-E. The Rhett, I think, is like Rhett Butler, R-H-E-T-T. Rhett Heinz, a lobbyist and stake president of Seven Area Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints of Latter-day Saint churches, with being aware of but not reporting child sex assault allegations against a Lebanon County church leader who himself was a bishop. The charges were filed on Wednesday, and Heinz is scheduled to be arraigned Friday. That is today, Friday, the 2nd of February. By the way, that uh, that mistake there where it says Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, that was in the original article. Police expect Heinz, age 50, to turn himself in. He's charged with failure to report or refer allegations, a third-degree felony. In Pennsylvania, third-degree felonies generally can carry prison terms of up to seven years, continuing with the article. According to police documents, Heinz's church leadership role made him a mandated reporter under Pennsylvania's Child Protective Services Law, which dates to 1975, but expanded in 2014 following the Jerry Sandusky scandal to include more categories of people as mandated reporters, and to increase the penalties for not reporting allegations. Sean Corey Gooden, that's the name of the bishop, that's the perpetrator. Sean Corey Gooden, who police say held leadership positions with the church's Lebanon ward, was charged in 2022 in Virginia with sexually assaulting a minor in the Woodbridge area, and 2023 in Pennsylvania with sexually assaulting a minor in Berks County. So the same former bishop, I imagine he's a former bishop by now, was charged in 2022 with sexually assaulting a minor in Virginia. And in 2023, he was charged with sexually assaulting a minor in Pennsylvania. Police said the assaults happened between 1997 and 2000. So these are very, very old allegations. They're over 20 years old, 25 years even in some instances. So the allegation then is that this bishop, or at least I doubt he was a bishop at the time, 20 years ago, but he's a bishop now, 
during the 2022 time period when he got charged. That's my understanding. So Sean Corey Gooden is alleged to have committed these offenses between 1997 and 2000, but he was only charged with them in 2022 and 2023. Police, yes, police said the assaults happened between 1997 and 2000, and the victims were between 8 and 12 years old when the assaults occurred. State police also detailed one sexual assault allegation involving Gooden and a 12-year-old boy at French Creek State Park in the year 2000. So once again, that also is an allegation um, over 20 years old. Police say Heinz, the state president now, who was also chief operating officer of the Harrisburg-based Bravo Group, which tells ABC 27 News he is on leave as of late Wednesday. So they tried to contact him at his place of employment, Bravo Group. Bravo Group said he's on leave as of late Wednesday, which would mean this past Wednesday when they were contacted by the news. So police say Heinz knew about the allegations against Gooden as early as October 2020. All right. While Gooden was a church leader and nearly two years before he was arrested. So Gooden was a church leader, and I believe it was a bishop, in 2020. And in some way, that information is communicated by Gooden and also apparently one of the victims to the stake president in 2020. While Gooden was a church leader and nearly two years before he was arrested, remember he wasn't arrested until 2022, two years later. State police say Gooden and the victim Gooden and the victim had disclosed the sexual assault to Heinz, the state president, who failed to report the abuse to authorities. Gooden, the former bishop, was 47 years old when he was first arrested in 2022. So he would have been, what, in his early 20s when these allegations occurred of his sexually abusing these children. So I doubt that he was a bishop then but I understand he was a bishop in 2022 when he was arrested. Then the church released a statement, which was quoted in the news article. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. See, they can spell their own name properly. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints works actively to prevent abuse. Our hearts ache for victims of abuse, and the church is committed to addressing such incidents wherever they are found. The church wrote in a statement provided by Heinz's attorney. The church trains its leaders and supports their lawful efforts. The charges now brought by local prosecutors for failing to report the abuse are misguided and the church will vigorously defend him. So apparently the church is the one defending Heinz, the state president, and they're providing the attorney, whoever that attorney is for Heinz, which was the attorney who provided the statement. Yeah, the attorney provides a statement written by the church. Yeah, they're hand in glove on this, you can tell. Now, let's look at the law in the state of Pennsylvania, see what we can figure out. The elements of the crime, failure to report or refer, this is section 6319, a person or official required by this chapter to report a case of suspected child abuse or to make a referral to the appropriate authorities, commits an offense if the person or official willfully fails to do so. So that's not intentionally, 
and not necessarily knowingly, but just willfully fails to do so. They don't do it, and they are willful in not doing it. It's an act of their will, in other words. It's not an accident. An offense under this section is a felony of the third degree if the person or official willfully fails to report. The child abuse constitutes a felony of the first degree or higher, and the person or official has direct knowledge of the nature of the abuse. So all those things are elements of the offense with which the state president Heinz is charged. Now, is the state president a mandated reporter? Some states call it a mandatory reporter. Apparently in Pennsylvania, they call it a mandated reporter. So first off, we go to the definitions section 6303 in the Pennsylvania Code. The general rule, the following words and phrases when used in this chapter shall have the meanings given to them in this section unless the context clearly indicates otherwise. This is a definition section. A lot of technical terms are used throughout different statutes, and it's common at the beginning to have a list of those terms and define them so it's clear what those terms mean when we're reading them in the statute subsequently. This is one of those instances, and it defines mandated reporter as a person who is required by this chapter to make a report of suspected child abuse. Well, that doesn't help us too much, but let's go on. Continuing with the question of, is the state president a mandated reporter? Section 6311, persons required to report suspected child abuse. A, mandated reporters at subsection A. The following adults shall make a report of suspe suspected child abuse subject to, subject to subsection B, if the person has reasonable cause to suspect that a child is a victim of child abuse, all right? Now, once again, we have the question here of that a child is a victim of child abuse. This person was an adult at the time that the state president found out about it. He was a victim when he was a child, but is is present tense, so that may play a part in this case as well. But here we have, under subsection six, included in this definition, of persons required to report suspected child abuse, a clergyman, priest, rabbi, minister, Christian science practitioner, religious healer, or spiritual leader of any regularly established church or other religious organization. So the state president is definitely a mandated reporter. I don't think the court would have any trouble finding that the state president is a clergyman, a priest, or a spiritual leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is a regularly established church. All right, now, statute of limitations. Section 6319D, the statute of limitations. Four cases like this. Oh, this is the general rule. The statute of limitations for an offense under this section shall be either the statute of limitations for the crime committed against the minor child or five years, whichever is greater. Let me rephrase that. This is not the general rule. I had looked up the general rule, then I got rid of it because there's a specific statute of limitations for this specific offense, and it's five years, okay? Five years. So if the state president received this information in October of 2022, well, it's been less than five years since then. That would be October of 2027 before the statute of limitations would arguably expire. And I don't know that it would expire. Because when you're dealing with a situation like this, 
every day that the state president does not report this information to law enforcement or to government authorities is a new day in which he's violated the law by not reporting it. So he continues to violate the law by not reporting it until such time as he reports it. So once he reports it, then the statute of limitations would start running. It's in the nature of a continuing offense. Every day that he doesn't report it when he's supposed to is a continuing offense. And it doesn't stop being a continuing offense until he reports it. And the statute of limitations doesn't start running until he stops committing the offense. Okay? So I think that the statute of limitations issue is a pretty easy hurdle for the state to get over in this prosecution. Now, the question everybody wants to know about, what about clergy penitent privilege in the state of Pennsylvania? I did some research on this. This is section 5943, confidential communications to clergymen. No clergyman, priest, rabbi, or minister of the gospel of any regularly, regularly established church or religious organization, except clergymen or ministers who are self-ordained or who are members of religious organizations in which members other than the leader thereof are deemed clergymen or ministers, and now I bolded this part, who, while in the course of his duties, has acquired information from any person secretly and in confidence. So it's not required under Pennsylvania law that this be part of a confessional type of procedure. It's just that if this person is a clergyman or clergy person, it's probably an older statute. They're using clergymen throughout. At any rate, um, the state president being a clergyman, the question is, in the course of his duties, interviews in his office, I would expect, has acquired information from any person secretly and in confidence. It doesn't have to be part of uh, a confession. It's just getting that information in his duties and that information is secret and in confidence, whatever that is determined to mean by the court. All right. Now, privileged communications, section 6311.1, the general rule specific to this very issue about reporting child abuse, subject to subsection B, that's very important and we'll come back to it. It means other than subsection B, which is immediately below, this is the rule. The privileged communications between a mandated reporter, the state president's a mandated reporter, and a patient or client of the mandated reporter shall not apply to a situation involving child abuse. Okay? So even if it's privileged communications, it doesn't apply to a situation involving child abuse, and it does not relieve the mandated reporter of the duty to make a report of suspected child abuse. So that's the rule, and it looks like the state president is on the hot seat. But remember, it is subject to subsection B. And if you go down to subsection B, confidential communications, the following protections shall apply. One, confidential communications made to a member of the clergy are protected under 42 Pacific uh, Pennsylvania statutes Section 5943, that's the one we just read, relating to confidential communications to clergymen. And the second subsection has to do with uh, confidential communications made to an attorney, so I didn't uh, reproduce the rest of that. 
what we're focusing on here is sub B, sub one. So there is an exception carved out for members of the clergy in reporting child abuse under section 5943. And that was the one we talked about before, 5943. So one of the questions is going to be, if the state president was in the course of his duties when he received the information and whether he acquired the information from a person secretly and in confidence. That's the issue in this case. That's one of the main issues that's going to exist in this case. But there's another issue. This is once again, the same statute 5943, but I've highlighted something else in that statute. Now, remember it says no clergyman, and I'm not gonna read everything else, or minister of the gospel of any regularly established church or religious organization. Remember the exceptions here. There's a whole clause in the middle of this paragraph that accepts out of this confidential communications privilege to clergymen. And the people who are excluded from that protection are, if it's a clergyman or minister who are self-ordained, okay, well, we don't ordain ourselves in the church, so that's good. It's the second part. Or who are members of religious organizations in which members other than the leader thereof are deemed clergymen or ministers. That sounds like the Mormon church, doesn't it? Uh, you've got a bishop in a ward, but every worthy male who's over the age of 12 has the priesthood. And they are ministers. In fact, it's been a few years ago that they changed home teaching. They changed the term of it to ministers, and they start using that verb, ministering, to the other members of the church. So I think that is the LDS church. That, I think, is going to be another issue in this case. I want to read this whole paragraph again so you can hear what it is I'm saying. No clergyman, priest, rabbi, or minister of the gospel of any regularly established church or religious organization except clergymen or ministers who are self-ordained or who are members of religious organizations in which members other than the leader thereof are deemed clergymen or ministers who, while in the course of his duties, has acquired information from any person secretly and in confidence shall be compelled or allowed without consent of such person to disclose that information in any legal proceeding, trial, or investigation before any government unit. Okay. The church now appears to be representing the state president or at least providing his attorney at church expense, which is similar. I mean, it would make sense for the church to hire an attorney in Pennsylvania, who knows Pennsylvania criminal law, to represent this fellow. The church, and I'm going from the statement that the church gave. Remember, I read this at the outset. The Church of Jesus Christ, I'm just going to go to the bottom part. The charges now brought by local prosecutors for failing to report the abuse are misguided, and the church will vigorously defend him. Okay, so that sounds like they're legally defending him. I think that's what defend means. The stake president 
called the abuse hotline. There should be a question mark after that because this is speculation, although it is informed and educated speculation. Every local LDS church leader goes through training. They are trained that whenever an issue like child sex abuse comes up, they are to immediately call the abuse hotline to talk to an attorney in Salt Lake City from Curtin McConkie, the church's law firm. The stake president surely called the hotline. And by that, I mean, I don't know that he did, but obviously he would have. It's as sure as I can be without actually uh, hearing him admit that he did. So what happened on this hotline call? We know the stake president almost certainly called the hotline. We know attorneys working the other end of the hotline give advice on what must be reported to the authorities. We know on some occasions, it appears church lawyers tend to advise bishops and stake presidents to not report child abuse, if at all possible. In other words, if the law will support them in doing that. And sometimes even when it doesn't. We know the stake president did not report the abuse. That's one thing we do know. We also know the church is representing him in these criminal charges, or at least providing his attorney. Put it all together, and what do you got? Speculation. The stake president called the abuse hotline, spoke to an attorney from Curtin McConkie, and the attorney told the stake president to not report the child abuse to the authorities. That much, though, speculation seems to me patently obvious. Now, if the church lawyer had told the stake president he needed to report to authorities, but the stake president did not make the report, in addition to this sounding very unlikely that the church lawyer is going to tell him, you got to report it to the authorities, and the stake president says, no way. That's what I mean when I say it sounds unlikely. But in addition to that, the church would not be indemnifying him by representing him in court. If the stake president did not follow the advice, from Curtin McConkie, they wouldn't be representing him or providing his, providing his representation at this point. So it's almost certain that he was told to not report the child abuse to the authorities by the Curtin McConkie lawyer. Which raises the question, any consequences for the Curtin McConkie attorney, whoever he or she may be, if a Curtin McConkie attorney advised the state president in Pennsylvania to not report the child abuse, which it sure looks like is what happened, even though the law required, and that's an open question right now, even though the law required the state president to do so, the attorney could be seen as conspiring with the state president to violate Pennsylvania law. Indeed, the Curtin McConkie lawyer could be seen as an accomplice in violating Pennsylvania law or maybe even the principal and the state president is the accomplice. So if an attorney or anybody else, wherever they are, but this is in Salt Lake City, Utah, calls somebody in Pennsylvania and tells them to rob a bank, and that person robs the bank, the person who told them to rob the bank is the principal, and the person who robbed the bank is the accomplice. It could also be looked at as a conspiracy theory, okay? So, um, actually, I got that reversed. The person who told him to do it would be an accomplice. The person who robbed the bank would be the principal. Regardless, the liability in almost every state is you are just as liable for committing the offense as a principal as you are 
or aiding, encouraging, or abetting the offense as an accomplice. They are treated the same way. They are punished the same way. Jurisdiction is a question. Now, if the Curtin McConkie lawyer is seen as having accomplice liability, his phone call with the state president could be seen as giving Pennsylvania jurisdiction over the Curtin McConkie lawyer in Utah. Even though the Curtin McConkie lawyer was sitting in Utah when he gave the advice, he was speaking to the state president whom he knew was in Pennsylvania and whom he was advising take certain actions of not calling the, the authorities about this child abuse information that came to the state president. So I think a good argument could be made that the lawyer could be seen not only as being an accomplice in this crime, if indeed it's a crime, but also that Pennsylvania would have jurisdiction over him to charge the attorney and prosecute him or her. So here's the jurisdiction issue, the territorial applicability, section 102. This provides for jurisdiction. I have reproduced only the two sub paragraphs that look like they could apply in the circumstance to the lawyer at Curtin McConkie. The general rule, except as otherwise provided in this section, a person may be convicted under the law of this commonwealth, that's Pennsylvania, of an offense committed by his own conduct or the conduct of another for which he is legally accountable if either one, the conduct which is an element of the offense or the result which is such an element occurs within this commonwealth. So the conduct which is an element of this offense which is not reporting or the result which is such an element occurs within the commonwealth. All right? So I see that as leaving open the jurisdictional avenue to charge the attorney if indeed this is a crime. And sub three, conduct occurring outside this commonwealth is sufficient under the law of this commonwealth to constitute a conspiracy to commit an offense within this commonwealth and an overt act in furtherance of such conspiracy occurs within this commonwealth. That sounds pretty on the money as far as the facts of this case. Once again, I'm talking about the potential criminal liability for the attorney at Curtin McConkie if that attorney told the state president in 2022, or excuse me, in 2020, to not report any of this information about child sex abuse to the authorities. And this, I think, would give Pennsylvania jurisdiction over that attorney, even though the attorney resides in Utah. Which raises another question. Does the church have a conflict of interest here? If the Curtin McConkie lawyer committed a crime by giving bad legal advice to the state president, right? That's just an allegation. I'm not saying that happened. But let's say that the Curtin McConkie lawyer did commit a crime. Number two, the Curtin McConkie lawyer is employed by the LDS church to give the advice. Three, it would cause the LDS church embarrassment for this to be publicized, i.e., that the state president called the hotline and the attorney working for the church told him to not report the abuse, even though he had to, if indeed that's the case. And it would certainly cause the LDS church embarrassment. Finally, then four, is it appropriate for the LDS church to represent the state president or provide for his defense? 
although not necessarily a legal defense. Let me back up here and say, if a lawyer tells you to do something or advises you to do something and that something ends up being against the law, that's not necessarily a legal event, uh, legal defense. It is, however, something that is very relevant to the case and pertinent to the case, especially when it comes to potential sentencing. So I say, although not necessarily a legal defense, it would be in the interest of the state president to point the finger at the Curtin McConkie attorney who gave him the bad legal advice. If I'm his attorney, if I'm the state president's attorney in Pennsylvania, that's the first thing we're going to explore. Were you told by an attorney for the church whom you are required to call, right? That's the training. You call the hotline. If he told you to not report it to the authorities, I want that information out there. That is in the state president's interest to have that information out there. But at the same time, it would be in the interest of Curtin McConkie and the specific attorney at issue to not be implicated in the crime by the stake president. So not only would it cause embarrassment for the church, there's a potential of having this attorney at Curtin McConkie implicated in the crime as well, if indeed it is a crime. This appears to me to be a classic conflict of interest. How does the LDS church whose attorneys allegedly gave the bad advice in the first place, employ other attorneys to represent the stake president who took the advice and may have broken the law or is at least accused of breaking the law because he did follow the advice. And finally, wouldn't this be a situation rife with opportunities to make sure the stake president does not implicate the church or Curtin McConkie in the proceedings? So if I'm this guy's lawyer, we're definitely going to bring up the church and the fact that he called Curtin McConkie on the hotline and got the bad legal advice and he acted on it in good faith. That's in his interest, but it is not in the interest of the church for that information to come out because they would be embarrassed by it and it could subject the attorney at Curtin McConkie, who's an employee of the church, to criminal liability. That's why I say this looks like an obvious conflict of interest. But if I'm representing this guy on my own, the state president, that's what I'm doing because my interests are his interests. I represent his interests as best I can. The church, however, if they have hired me to be his attorney or if they are representing him, that is a situation ripe with opportunities to make sure the state president does not implicate the church or Curtin McConkie in the proceedings because they're funneling that information through me not to bring that up. It's in the interest of my client. It's not in the interest of the church, but the church is hiring me to represent the state president. This is extremely problematic from my point of view. Finally, I see two main issues in this case going forward. Number one, does the clergy penitent privilege even apply to a local leader of the LDS church? Remember, there's that language from the statute that gives the privilege to clergy, but it does not apply to clergy who are self-ordained or who are members of religious organizations in which members other than the leader thereof are deemed clergymen or ministers. That's a legitimate question. Does the clergy penitent privilege in Pennsylvania even apply to leaders in 
the LDS church. And the second main issue in the case, I think, is was the disclosure by the bishop, the offender, and the victim in October of 2020, were those disclosures made to the stake president while in the course of his duties, and did he acquire the information secretly and in confidence? Those are more fact questions, and I don't know that we have the facts of those yet, but it's going to have to, the church is going to have to win both of those. First off, they're going to have to make the argument that the clergy penitent privilege does apply in spite of this language, which appears to say the opposite, at least as far as the LDS church goes. And two, was the disclosure by the bishop and the victim in October of 2020 made to the stake president while in the course of his duties, and did he acquire the information secretly and in confidence? That's what the church is going to have to prove. And conversely, the opposite, of course, is what the prosecutor in the state of Pennsylvania is going to want to prove. Let me bring this over here. I'll remove that now. So we're going to watch this case going forward because this is the first time that I can recollect when a leader of the church, a sitting leader of the church and a stake president, no less, is being charged with a criminal offense for failing to report allegations or information about child abuse that came to his attention as the stake president. So please hit like, please hit subscribe. I'm going to close this out now, and I'm going to look over here for the closing music. There it is down there. And please, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. If you haven't hit like, really, please hit like. It helps the algorithm. Please leave a comment down below. I want to thank all the wonderful people who have donated to the show, and especially those who have made uh, one-time donations or continuing donations over at the RadioFreeMormon.org webpage. All you have to do is go there, click donate. You can make a one-time contribution or a regular recurring monthly donation. $5 a month is all I ask. $10 a month if you can, $20 a month, but $5 a month, plenty, plenty for me. You don't have to think that's too little to bother because everybody donating a little adds up. So that is about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon signing off the air.